Well, thanks for being here this evening. My name is Kevin Conover, and um, I'm your host on Educate for Life Radio down here in Southern California. We're broadcasting on KPRZ, 1210 AM, uh, the largest Christian radio station down here in Southern California. And uh, we're also on FM 106.1 in North County. And uh, then, of course, we're all over uh, social media, so you can check us out on podcast and YouTube and everywhere else. And um, I'm really excited this evening. You know, we've been having a bunch of uh, different creation experts on the radio program recently. Uh, not too long ago, we had Brian Thomas on. He is a uh, a writer for a science writer for ICR, and um, we had a, a great conversation about uh, a lot of different things related to dinosaurs. He's done a, a lot of different research, very interesting stuff. And um, in our upcoming shows, we have some guests too, Dr. Dan Biddle is going to be on the show as well as Tom Meyer. And uh, so some great shows that we're going to be uh, having soon. Our, my guest this evening is uh, Russ Miller and a little bit about him. Um, he's written five creation oriented books, including his most recent book cost. And uh, his ministry is creationministries.org. And uh, we'll learn a little bit more about him as we go uh, along the program this evening, but he's led uh, dozens of grand Canyon creation based river rafting trips and um, he's presented to thousands of churches, and he's also um, been on uh, national TV. He's uh, spoken on college campuses at national conferences, and um, he used to be a theistic evolutionist, which is uh, the idea that God um, used evolution to create everything, and yet today um, he believes in a six-day creation. And uh, Russ, thanks a lot for being on the program today. Well, thanks, Kevin. Great to be with you tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I I've been told that you you live in a in a crater in Arizona. Is that true? It's true. I live in an extinct volcanic crater in northern Arizona, and uh, it's about a little mile and a quarter in diameter. And we live down in the bottom of it. It's a very interesting place to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds. That sounds kind of exciting. <laughs> it is most of the time. We're about 6,800 foot elevation and we get snow in the winter. Uh, just happens that uh, this is the most snow we've gotten in a winter since we've been here. We've gotten five feet in the last three weeks. And um, that's causing me a few problems. I had to snowshoe out last weekend to head to California to speak at a church in California last weekend up in Santa Clarita. Uh, Freedom's Way Baptist, and uh, this week I, I'm speaking at a Calvary Chapel uh, in Arizona, so I'm probably going to have to snowshoe out again and catch a ride to get over there, but hopefully it'll melt down in the next week. It's so deep right now, you can't drive out on it. Wow. Now, uh, I'm just curious, Is are there other homes in, uh, I'm like I'm picturing like your home just in the bottom of a crater by itself. Is Are there other homes down there too, or is it just you? There are about 40 other cabins down here, and it's a great place to be. Uh, we have deer and elk, and black bears and mountain lions and about everything in between. Uh, we see uh, quite often, uh, usually every morning out front, there's some deer or elk out there. So, yeah, it's a nice place to be. That's fantastic. Well, hey, um, you know, I want to hear, you know, what caused you to change your mind you were you were a theistic evolutionist, and you became um, you know a six day creationist, and why you switched your viewpoint. And I'm also really interested to hear, um, you know, you probably 
uh, more than most people have given a lot of tours through the Grand Canyon specifically as evidence for the flood. Uh, I'm very curious uh, to hear also about that. But why don't we start with, you know, what caused you to change your mind from being a theistic evolutionist to a uh, six-day creationist? Sure. I was raised in a Christian home, and unlike 80 to 90% of Christian-raised kids, I did not leave my faith. But I played college sports, and I wandered away. Uh, Let's say I made a, a, a big loop. But after I got through the sports and all, I, I, I started going back uh, to my roots. But at that time, uh, with 174 college credits under my belt, I was what you would call a theistic evolutionist. Now, that's a, that's a Christian who believes God must have used evolution and millions of years of time to get us here because that's all you're taught in public schools and colleges. So I had, in my mind, uh, decided, well, God must have used millions of years in evolution. Now, um, I wasn't a diehard. I wasn't going out selling other people on on that. Just in my mind, I had more or less saw how things must have worked that way with regard to the secular education that I had. Uh, Eventually, though, I started uh, coming across information from uh, creationists reading some books, watching some videos, uh, etc. And it really didn't take long, especially when I started to see some of the frauds they used to get us to believe in Darwinian style macro evolution. It didn't take me long to realize, hey, <laughs> I've been lied to. And I started really studying it intently for about four years. Now, at that point in time, I had developed my own nationwide business and I had five offices around the country. And I was actually planning on retiring at the age of 49 and goofing off and just, you know, basically do the important things in life, playing golf, working out, Buffalo and Zimbabwe, you know, the important things. Yeah. And, but at the age of 40, I came across this information. By that time, I'd become a trustee in my church. I studied it very intently for four years and it was it was just life-changing to me. And I started to talk to other Christians about the issues and found out that there is just tremendous confusion inside of the Christian ranks and inside the Christian church about our origins, about uh, creation versus evolution and age of earth issues. And when when I finally discovered that the old earth beliefs all put death before Adam, that's when it really came together to me to how important it really was. And I gave my business away to a guy who worked for me for 13 years, told him I'm going full turkey into the ministry. And that's what we did back uh, in 2000. And uh, we've been speaking in churches and conferences and leading Grand Canyon tours pretty much since. I think I started my first Grand Canyon tour was with a Christian radio station back in 2003. And over the years, we were up until the, the pandemic there, um, we were taking about a thousand people a year on, on tours of Grand Canyon, all from a biblical perspective. Now, I generally take big groups and uh, like 50 people, we use a bus for transportation. There's uh, different spots we stop on the rim where I can point out uh, various issues. Uh, but there's just a lot of things. Uh, at the canyon and in that area that really are only explicable through a world that has endured a global flood. 
And if you understand the implications of the global flood, it wipes out every old earth belief. Mm. We can, I can explain that if you'd like me to. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm curious about that. When, when you say it wipes out all the alternatives, uh, break that down for us. Yes, I, I, call this, um, I call this these the five pillars of old earth beliefs. The number, the number one pillar is the belief there was never a global flood. That has to be there. They cannot allow for a global flood. It destroys old earth beliefs. That's the first pillar. The second pillar of older beliefs is the geologic column or time scale. Now that was invented about 200 years ago and they made a drawing of 12 primary layers, strata, and gave a name and age and index fossils to each layer based on the belief that the layers form slowly at the same rate we see today, which is depending on where you are in the world, about an inch every thousand years. But they look at the thickness of the layers, they can be several miles thick, and they said an inch a year took hundreds of millions of years to form those layers. Global flood would explain how the layers form quickly, wiping out that belief. Now, what's interesting about that, Kevin, is in, in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 6 in the New Testament, we're told that non-believers will come along in the last days, and they're questioning, where's the promise of Jesus's return? And, and they're going to claim that all processes remain the same since the beginning of the creation. That's uniform processes. And they'll be willingly ignorant uh, of the world that the world that was being overflowed with water perished. The Bible foretold in the last days, non-believers are claiming uniform processes and deny the global flood. Secular geology for the last 150 years is based on two principles, uniform processes and no global flood, just mm. like God said. So the second pillar again is the geologic column based on the belief there's never a global flood. The third uh, older foundation are the radiometric dating techniques, but they need to get a date that coincides with the geologic column or time scale that is based on the belief there is never a global flood in order to get published. So it still comes back to that global flood and the other two pillars are dinosaurs and what layer they're found in based on the column, the geologic column, based on the belief there was never a global flood. And finally, Grand Canyon, based on the belief that forms slowly over long ages of time, not quickly as a result of the global flood. It always comes back to the global flood. The global flood explains the crust of the earth. It, it explains the, the stratified layers we find separated by grain size, weight, and density. You know, ask yourself this. If those layers form slowly over long ages, why are they stratified? Hmm. It should just be one big brown conglomerate. You ever see a miner with a pan? He scoops up some sediments and water. He sloshes it back and forth. Well, the moving water separates the sediments in his pan by grain size, weight, and density. Gold being the densest falls to the bottom of the pan. Well, on, the, on a global scale, the fountains of the deep had erupted, the windows of heaven had rained down, and for 150 days, the floodwaters rose, and they were eroding the top mile to two miles of the Earth's original crust. Mm -hmm. Now, as the sediments are rolling around those waters, the waters are separating those sediments by grain size, weight, and density. So over the second 150-day period of the global flood, as the water started to abate, they started laying those sediments down. But now those sediments are separated by grain size, weight, and density. So they lay down all shale. 
all mudstone, all sandstone, all limestone. The, the reason that they're, they're separated by grain size, weight, and density is they were laid down in moving water during the global flood. And the global flood it wipes out the, uh, the old earth beliefs. That's fantastic. Uh, I love that. Um, you know, it's really interesting to me because a lot of people teach from a classroom and everything, but you're actually teaching literally from the Grand Canyon when you're doing a river rafting trip and these sorts of things. And, uh, you know, my, my producer, he's, he's been on the trip with you. Um, are you still doing those trips? Is that something you've started up again? Are you going to keep doing those trips? You know, what we do now is we do one day rim tours on the South Rim. And we do uh, three-day rim and raft trips. And what we do there is we uh, take people to the south rim. I can show people so much on the south rim. And the second day, we do a, a four-hour raft trip. Um, and the reason we do these particular trips is uh, on day one at the south rim, I, I can talk about the formation of the canyon. I can show all sorts of great fruits of its rapid formation, the straight up and down canyon walls, indicative of fast formation, the lack of rock debris in the bottom, indicative of fairly recent formation. But some of the neat things I can show at the South Rim is I can show folks where the original creation rock is, and I can show folks where the first the flood layers come and lay right on top of the creation rock. And I can even show you where you can go in the canyon and put your thumb on creation rock and your fingers on the first of the flood layers, literally where creation and judgment met physically wow. in our world. So it, there's some powerful things we can show at the South Rim. And anyone that's gone there has seen these things, but no one's pointed it out. When I point it out to people, it, it's like the light bulb goes on. It's like, wow, why didn't I, why didn't I realize that myself? I'll, I'll give everybody a hint. The, the, the flood layers are the stratified layers. Uh, separated by grain size, weight, and density, and the what we consider the creation rock had been covered in the original creation, but it was eroded, eroded, and where the erosion stopped, you still have the creation rock, now it started laying down the stratified layers. In the bottom of the canyon, what we call the creation rock, the schists and granites, they're, they're not stratified because they weren't laid down by the flood. Oh, wow, that's very interesting. So, you know, what is a, uh, when you you know, present this to somebody that's a secularist, whatever, um, you know, I, I've heard that they give tours on the Grand Canyon, you know, uh, maybe uh, park guides or something. I'm not sure. Um, and they'll often say, hey, this was carved by the Colorado River or, or whatever the case, um, you know, and you're presenting this view that, hey, no, this this is stratified. This is not. This is original rock. Um, have you ever had a discussion with one of those tour guides or, or a ranger and, and, and uh, said, hey, you know, Here's what's really going on. You know, occasionally, but I, if they're talking to a group, I'm not there to embarrass them. They're just repeating what they were told. Yeah. If, if they're a geologist, they're just repeating what was in the secular textbook. Most of them haven't actually studied the issue. You know, one thing that, that most folks don't understand is the, the Grand Canyon is, is a mile deep on average, but it doesn't cut into the plain of the Colorado Plateau. No, the area was uplifted. It's called the Kaibab Plateau or the Kaibab Upwork. Grand Canyon cuts through the Upwork. So when you're standing on the rim of the canyon looking down, you're on top of the Upwork and the, and the chasm is cut through that Upwork. So there's, there's, 
I want to talk to you. Let's switch over to the grand staircase. Well, this has to do with the canyon and its formation. Another thing that, that very few people ever get to hear is that there, where it's a mile from the rim of the river of the canyon, excuse me, the Cabad limestone down to the Colorado River, a mile. Most people, if they haven't been to Grand Canyon, they've seen pictures of it. So you can imagine a picture of the canyon in your mind, but it's a, a mile on average from the rim down to the river. Now, what they won't tell you at the Grand Canyon, because there's no way to really explain this viably except by a global flood. And if I haven't mentioned already, a global flood wipes out every old earth belief. <laughs> that mile of, of rock layers, 10 primary layers, make up the wall of the canyon. That mile is, isn't anything. There used to be two miles of rock layers above today's rim that have been removed from southern Utah south to the sea, leaving really no evidence of where they went. Think about this, Kevin. Uh, Grand Canyon itself is 277 miles long, uh, up to 18 miles wide, and averages a mile deep. Now, it's a big hole in the ground. It's missing about 900 cubic miles of sediments. 900 cubic miles of sediments. Now, that's a big hole in the ground, right? Yeah. The Grand Staircase is not missing 900 cubic miles of sediments. It's missing an estimated 130,000 cubic miles of sediments. Grand Canyon's not even 1% not even of what's missing from the staircase. So the staircase is a huge erosional event. It left behind, the staircase consists of, if you go north from Grand Canyon, about 65 miles north of Grand Canyon, you come to the 2,000 foot tall Vermilion Cliffs. I'm only gonna discuss the main steps of the, of the staircase. So you go 65 miles north of the South Rim and you come to the 2,000 foot tall Vermilion Cliffs. Now from the South Rim, I can point this out. And if you climb up on top of those 2,500 foot cliffs and went another 40 miles north, you'd come to the 2,500 foot tall white and gray cliffs that Zion cuts through. Now, if you climbed up on top of those 2,500 foot steps and went another 45 miles north, you come to the 2,500 foot tall pink cliffs where we find Bryce. That is known as the Grand Staircase. Bryce drops south, Zion drops south, Vermilion Cliffs drops south. Now, if it drops far enough south, though about uh, 80 or so miles uh, south of Grand Canyon, you come to the Mogollon Rim in northern Arizona, it's another 2,000 foot cut that runs east and west across northern Arizona. It's not officially part of the Grand Staircase, but it's the same erosional event that removed those layers that had been going south and cut, cut them down 2,500 feet at, at Bryce, 2,500 feet at Zion Drop, cut the Vermilion Cliffs Drop, cut the Mogollon Rim. So this is a massive uh, removal of sediment, leaving behind these massive cliffs in this region. So that's the Grand Staircase. Once a year, I do a seven-day Grand Staircase tour where we go. There's one in May of this year that still has some openings, by the way, through um, purpose-driven tours out of Jackson, Mississippi. If anyone wants to contact them and join, it's an awesome Christian trip. But we... Uh, we do the South Rim the first day. Uh, we go and do the river raft trip. 
We go up and stay in cabins on the north rim. The north rim of Grand Canyon, by the way, spectacular, spectacular. And uh, really, I wouldn't even go to the south rim if I could go to the north rim all the time, but it's a little harder to get to. Uh, then we spent a couple of nights in Zion and, a, and, a, and a, a day in Bryce, and that's our Grand Staircase tour. It's a really spectacular Christian tour. I've had a lot of people tell me it's the best Christian tour they've been on outside of Israel. So wow. it's, it's, a, it's a neat tour, and it's all about showing people the truth of God's word in the world that we live in. So also at the South Rim, God left two 900-foot remnants of those missing two miles of rock layers and he left them he left one at the south entrance just below tucson and he left another remnant at the eastern entrance over by desert viewpoint these are two 900 foot tall buttes now they're made up of the 600 foot mon Kopi and the 300 foot chin lee layer that are on top of the kaibab limestone that makes up the rim of the canyon so these layers are on top of the of the of the rim and other than those buttes they've been pretty much removed until you go 65 miles north and you you start picking them up there's a few little remnants here and there as well but yeah th these two buttes so uh, i do an on the rim talk with one of the buttes right behind us and i'll ask people do you see the proof of god's word in front of you and everyone's looking at the canyon going oh well Florida, you know and i go no no you're looking the wrong way turn around look behind you and then i explain the butte to them which is above where they're standing and how it's been removed. And we can point 65 miles north. You can see the Vermilion Cliffs from there. That's the first of the major uh, major steps of the staircase. So uh, th this is very interesting. So just to break it down, just so our listeners understand and make to make sure I understand what you're saying, basically what you're saying is, is that the, the uh, top of the cliffs of the, of the Grand Canyon actually used to be much higher than even that is what you're saying. And not only was everything inside the Grand Canyon ripped out, but it was everything on top of the Grand Canyon as well. Is that what you're saying? Close, but uh, yeah, let me, let me clarify that a little better. This was before the canyon was formed. So you had, let's say these three miles of layers and the two miles of layers got removed, okay? At this point in time is when I believe the mountains arose and the valley sank down. So the rock, the two miles were removed, leaving behind the staircase. And at that time, the Rocky Mountains arose north of the canyon and up through Colorado and heading north, the Wasatch Mountains uh, in northern Utah and the Sierra Madres in California, all three of those in a north-south trending direction is almost like like the, the continent was sliding and, and stopped and they buckled. But the two miles had been removed, the mountains arose, that diverted the very last of the flood waters south where they denuded the, the southern Utah, northern Arizona region, leaving competing theories on how the canyon formed quickly from that point on. And I like all three of the theories. I don't I'm not trying to sell any particular one. There's a lot of research going on to see which one seems to make the most sense. All three of them are, are quite viable though. And that is the upwork form. One, one possible theory is it acted as a huge earthen dam, caught late flood water from the flood and could have been several hundred years of runoff from the Colorado Plateau forming a lake that would have held about three times more water than Lake Michigan holds. 
and eventually it reached that earthen dam and the water, once you reach a dam, the water cascades through with mud, or, with mud and sediment flow. It would have been like a giant belt sander and cut Grand Canyon quickly. That's, that's the breach dam theory. Some people love it, some people don't, but there's-, there's is, that, uh, is that Walt Brown's theory? Uh, I think, uh, I'm not sure that Walt had the breach dam theory or not. He had the hydroplate theory, but I'm He said sure the Grand it. Lake, Grand Lake existed uh, up above yes, the canyon and- That would have been part of the breach dam theory then. Okay, so Another, where, did, where did all that dirt go? Where did all the dirt that you're talking about that two miles of dirt and plus the, the canyon, where did all that end up? Well, the, the 130,000 cubic miles from the staircase, I don't know if anyone really put a finger on it. Some people say, well, maybe it's some of the Midwestern uh, farmlands, maybe it's down in the Gulf or down in the uh, Sea of Cortez, but it was, it was pretty much um, dispersed globally at that time. Now the 900 cubic miles missing from Grand Canyon, um, geologists, tell me that they think some of it is outside of San Diego County, some of it's outside of the Phoenix area. The interesting thing though, it's not along the Colorado River or down in the Sea of Cortez. Uh, so it's not where it would be if the, if the river had anything to do with the formation of the canyon. So the two miles were removed, the upwork formed, the canyon formed at a latter time. Another theory is it was late floodwaters that they started to dissipate, they started to channel. And Marble Canyon, uh, channels in from the north, whereas Little Colorado, right at the bay, and the other, the channeling theory is in the channel right through the upwork, again, forming the Grand Canyon very quickly. You know, either way, uh, there's a couple other competing theories, but basically they have a, some sort of breach in that up, that upwork, and once water comes through, we're talking water that was estimated to be a, traveling at 100 to 120 miles an hour. And it was carrying bits of sand up to 200,000 pound boulders. It was like a giant belt sander. And it ripped through that upwork, leaving behind the straight up and down canyon walls uh, in really a matter of days, maybe, maybe a couple, three weeks where the, the main chasm was cut. Um, you know, they use, uh, they use water in industry now to cut hardened steel. Yeah. They put it at 50,000 PSI, and the key is they have some sort of grit in it, and it'll cut right through hardened steel. Water is very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've looked into this myself, too, and, and uh, learned some amazing things, like the Burlingame Canyon, how quickly that was carved, and lots of other examples in, the, in that regard. Um, what's your favorite evidence you know, I'm sure there are so many evidences like, I, I mean, you mentioned Bryce Canyon, you mentioned the Scablands, all of these are geological features that couldn't be carved by the normal weathering processes we see today. Um, what would you say is one of your favorite evidences uh, when you, when, that you get excited about when, when you're sharing it with people that is, you know, uh, just kind of lights a fire under you? You know, there's there's a couple things, and, I, and I've, I've already talked and alluded to some. One is pointing out where the creation rock is and where the flood layers come in. That's very eye-opening to folks, especially when they realize you could actually go to a spot and put your thumb on creation rock and your fingers on the judgment layers. Secular geology has a real problem where those two types of rocks meet. They're missing, they're missing about two billion years of other layers 
that according to the time scale they've got are supposed to be between those rocks at Grand Canyon. They call it the great unconformity. They say some, some unknown erosional event removed two billion years worth of, worth of strata, but it wasn't a global flood. And um, they call it the great unconformity. I call it the great inconsistency. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's, all, that's really one. But the other is when I get to explain the, the missing layers, the layers from above today's rim that have been removed, leaving behind this, the uh, staircase, because there's really no viable explanation from a uh, secular standpoint. I had a, a professor from Columbia University get a hold of me about 10 years ago and he called me and he said hey I'm here in Flagstaff and I'd like to sit down and meet with you because you're misleading people with your geology and I said well I'd be glad to sit down and talk with you and straighten you out about your geology because I think you're the one that's misleading people so I said he said okay let's meet I said okay we'll meet at Chick-fil-a he didn't go for that <laughs> he didn't we had that. to meet on his home turf we, we had to meet at Starbucks Oh yeah, and <laughs> that's funny. It was interesting because Kevin, the first thing I did was I read him Second Peter three three through six, how non-believers in the last days would claim uniform processes and deny the global flood. It physically stunned him. He sat there with his mouth open for about twenty seconds, just ah uh, because uh, he realized everything he his secular geology is based upon is on uniform processes and no global flood, just like the Bible said they would do. So he was fulfilling prophecy and it dawned on him. And then for about two hours, he went through all of his proofs. The earth is millions and billions of years old. And I didn't know all the things he was talking about, but I just listened to it and I would just comment, well, that's based on a belief in uniform processes. If the processes weren't uniform, that uh, your conclusion wouldn't, wouldn't work. Or, or that's based on the belief there's never a global flood. If there's a global flood, it wipes out your interpretation of that evidence. And we did that for a couple hours, and he finally disagreed to disagree. And um, unfortunately, his, his mind was set. But I'm often asked, what evidence do I have that the Bible's true? And I always say I have the same evidence that atheists use to say it's not true. I mean, we all live in the same world. We all have the same evidence. It's never been about the evidence. It's about who gets to interpret the evidence. You know, take those stratified layers laid down by water that make up the crust of the earth. Secularist looks at that and says, uniform process is no global flood, hundreds of millions of years. I look at that and I say, stratified layers separated by grain size, weight, and density by the global flood, God's word is true. Same evidence, different interpretations. We have to decide really and truly, logically and scientifically, which, which interpretation makes the best sense. And I think the Bible uh, stands tall every single time. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about, you know, and, and I'm sure you've heard this before. Uh, I was looking at an aerial view of the Grand Canyon. And, um, you know, I looked up this, the largest size of the Colorado River. And I believe at its widest, it's 500 feet. And yet the canyon's um, rim is, what is the distance from one end to the other, uh, wide, you know, being wide? Canyon starts, especially 277 miles long. It's up to 18 miles wide. I think it averages about 10. There's some places down in the gorge, it's rather narrow, so the water is deep. Um, I can't think of any place where it's in the canyon where it's 500 feet wide. 
Um, so how could anybody justify how could anybody justify the size of a, the canyon being 18 miles wide when you have a river that's this tiny? I mean, is that a is that a good argument for evidence that this was carved by a massive amount of water coming through and not a tiny river? I, w- I would certainly say it is. You know, I took my my grandson there a few years back. He was, I think, six years old. I hadn't said anything to him about the age of the canyon or anything, but we're, as we're standing on the side of the canyon looking down, he looked and said, no, Grandpa, there's no way that river has dug out this. <laughs> He's six-year-old. Come on. Uh, just common sense. Uh, you know, if, if rivers carve out huge canyons over, you know, given millions of years of time, and if the earth is supposed to be billions of years old, well, why isn't every river, gully, streaming creek in its own Grand Canyon by now? Mm. And the answer is it took a very special set of circumstances to form Grand Canyon. The, the global flood that laid down the stratified layers, a massive erosional event toward the end of the flood moved, removed the two miles. The upwork formed, waters then cut through the upwork quickly, leaving behind the canyon. It took a very special set of circumstances to form the canyon. Yeah, that's so one of the one of our guests on the on the uh, show here that's listening asked that exact question, which was, you know, why aren't there more Grand Canyons around the world um, if it was carved by the flood? Uh, why would that be the case? And you just said it was very, very particular circumstances. Is that right? Exactly. exactly. That, that's a great question. I get that from well-meaning Christians and I get it from uh, scoffers and skeptics, too. And I love answering it because uh, there, that's really the viable answer. It took a very special set of circumstances to form them. And for the old earthers, it's a real problem for them because there should be Grand Canyons everywhere, and they're not. There are a few, a handful of other large canyons, and we do have some very large submarine canyons underneath the ocean surface. But Grand Canyon is a very special uh, place, and it is uh, one of the five pillars of the old earth beliefs. Mm. Do you um, do you deal with fossils inside the Grand Canyon uh, in, in the in the uh, strata? Do you talk about that at all when you do those tours? You know, only a bit. We're up on the rim. There are some fossil beds in the uh, the Kaibab limestone that that makes up the rim. Uh, there's nothing that is overly exciting: sponges, crinoids, brachiopods, that type of thing. Uh, down in the lower regions, you can find. Uh, some trilobite fossils, and you find layers that have trilobite uh, trackways. Now, to my knowledge, I've never seen a trilobite trackway in the same layer that you find the trilobite fossils, which uh, if they had formed slowly, you should find them together. I would suggest that the, the trackways were laid down by the living trilobite were buried. The trilobite got swept off and then buried in the upper a layer above that. Uh, you know, find their trackways and their and their uh, bodies together. If someone knows of a spot where they found them both together. Let me know. But to my knowledge, uh, they've always been separated. What what um what is your view on you know where the Bible says that the floodgates of deep of the deep were all opened on one day? What what is your view on it? Do you um I've heard creationists say the Mid Atlantic Ridge is probably where that opened up. Do you um hold to that view also? Well, uh, partly um, there are the the Earth is crisscrossed with almost fifty thousand miles of these fault lines. I think quite a few of them are scars left over from where the fountains of the deep erupted, including the Mid Atlantic Ridge. Many of them run down the the centers or down the oceans between uh, land masses, 
And I think the, the single continent from the original creation was split up during the flood and split apart uh, during the latter part of the flood. We call that continental drift today based on uniformity that they've always moved a half inch a year mm. and no global flood, just like the Bible said they would do. Uh, Sacralists say it took hundreds of millions of years to separate the continents. So it happened quickly and now they hardly move at all. Uh, so uniformity is, is a faulty belief. But I, I think that's a, a direct result of the fountains of the deep erupting and the global flood both. What other geological features are there that you, um, so, I mean, the Grand, there's the Grand Canyon um, and I, in the five pillars that you mentioned, I think there was another, I can't remember exactly, there was another geological feature you mentioned, I think. But um, when you talk about things like Bryce Canyon, the Scablands, um, what other geological features are there, um, you know, similar to the Grand Canyon that could only have been carved by a worldwide flood and there's just no way to justify their existence by normal weathering that we see today? Um, are there any that you that come to mind that are significant to you? Well, I think the, uh, the stratified layers that average a mile deep around most of the globe are pretty, pretty solid evidence of, of the global flood. You know, a doctor, a geologist by the name of Dr. Richard Bretz back in the 1920s started uh, putting forth a, a, a hypothesis that the scab lands you find up in, in eastern Washington formed very quickly as a result of a massive glacial dam breach that they formed in a matter of days. Secular geology didn't teach them they formed slowly and uniformly like we see today over millions and millions of years. Now, his career was destroyed. He was destroyed. He was attacked. His career was, was undermined. And then about 40 to 45 years later in the mid 60s, secular geology finally admitted he was absolutely right. Scab lands, Grand Coulee, et cetera, formed very quickly as a result of a dam breach. You know, people need to understand water is eight pounds a gallon. So eight mm. pounds. <laughs> and you get that, that you, you get a million gallons you know, 8 million pounds of water moving at, you know, 40, 50, 100 miles an hour. And then that starts picking up debris. And it's like a gigantic belt sander ripping through what's over in front of it. Uh, water is literally, I, I think it's beyond our comprehension, the power. That yeah. It, it yeah. I had some students say, uh, why didn't people just swim to the top of the, the ocean when the waters came in? And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's not going to happen. You're going to get torn apart by that much water. That's just unreal. It might take you, you know, a few days to get to the surface. And most people can't hold their breath that long. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the doggy paddle so long, you know, <laughs> God had a plan. He said the, the flood was to destroy man. And that, that's exactly what he did, uh, you know, through the flood. We call Noah's flood today. Yeah. So, um, so if people want more information, uh, creationministries.org, uh, is that the, the best website? It is, creationministries.org. I have a lot of information on there. Um, I, I did want to mention our uh, public school accredited course, first time in 60 years, biblical creation, age of the earth issues, uh, Darwinian uh, frauds being exposed are actually now... Uh, where a, a public high school kid can take them for credit for their graduation. How, uh, the now, I, how is that? I've, I've never heard of such a thing. How, how did, how did that come to be? There's a, a, a Christian school in Phoenix, Northwest Christian school uh, out uh, in uh, North Phoenix, 43rd Avenue. 
and they have received what's called exemplary accreditation status. Only 17 Christian schools in the world have received this. I think Northwest has been the number one rated public or private school in Arizona for 10 years in a row. Excellent school. And about uh, because of their status, if a public high school kid were to take one of their courses, they can transfer that credit for their public high school graduation as an elective credit. Most high schools want six elective credits. Well, two years ago, they asked me if I would work with them to put together a course on biblical creation, the age of the earth, Grand Canyon, Darwinism, et cetera, all the things that I normally talk about. And I have a book that covers the, uh, it's called Cost, that's COS and the Cross, Creation, Original Sin, Separation, and the Cross, Our Need for Redemption. And the cost covers the top 10 older beliefs, the top 10 evil fruit of older beliefs, number one being Darwinism. So I cover the top 10 Darwinian beliefs. And then we cover the top 10 reasons to believe in biblical creation and the global flood. There's a study guide at the end of each of the 21 chapters. Uh, the course is based on my book, Cost, but it also takes all of my videos that are on my DVDs and thumb drives. And throughout the course, kids are watching all of these videos. It, it's going to take a, a student about 80 to 85 hours of work to get through that course. There are wow. you know, 500, 600, 700-page papers that are due. There, there are pop quizzes and finals and midterms, et cetera. It's, it's a full, it's an 18-week course. And when a kid completes that course, they're going to know creation, evolution, age of earth issues about as well as I do. And um, anyways, Northwest Christians status, anybody, it, they, they put these all on, on their online school. So they have the course on campus. The online course follows the campus course and anyone in the world can take it online and if you're a public high school student or you have a, a student in public school or a grandchild in public school, you can get them to take this course and it will qualify as a credit for their high school graduation. This is the first time since prayer and creation were kicked out of schools in 1963. This is the first time a kid in public school can get credit while learning the truth of God and his word. That's fantastic. That's incredible. Well, um, and if, if, if somebody wants to take advantage of that, uh, where do they go to do that? Do they, do they don't, do they have to attend the school or can they take that, um, through the school or how does that work? You can, you can take it anywhere in the world if you can get online. So, uh, the best way to probably get started, go to my website, creationministries.org. And on the left column, the second, the first or second one down on the left is high school course. If you click there, it'll take you to links where you can, you can read about it on my uh, site. Uh, you could get my book, Cost, and see what the cost is all about. It, it's, it's really a, a great book. It's easy to understand, written to be simple and quick to the point. And like I said, it covers the top 10 older beliefs, top 10 evil fruit of older beliefs, top 10 Darwinian beliefs, top 10 reasons to believe God's word. And you can see what that course is going to be teaching kids. And it, it's powerful. It's a very powerful course. So far, I've gotten really, really good feedback from the school about it and from the facilitator of the course as well. And they're really just getting started. I think they just started the second semester uh, of it. And um, anyone wants to learn about it and get kids signed up for the next semester, this would be the time to do it. Yeah, so that sounds fantastic. And then you get the links to the, 
to the school. You can even call the school and talk to them about it. Great. Okay. And then um, one other thing before we before we head out, I want to make sure people hear this again. Um, you mentioned that you are actually doing a um, tour. I think you said in May. Um, what is the website of the of the company that um, helps facilitate those tours of the canyon and and uh, the river rafting and so forth? Yes, I put on the Grand Staircase tour, but they set up the trip and the the bus and the people and the hotels and it's purpose driven tours. They're out of Jackson, Mississippi, but you could join that tour in Arizona. But uh, they still have some open seats for their May tour, um, June eighth through the eleventh. So people would come in and fly into Phoenix on June eighth. Uh, we'll have a meeting that night. We'll go in and and the south rim and i'll point out the creation rock and the two miles of missing layers and much more then the, uh, the next night we'll stay overnight in page that night the next day do the four-hour raft trip and i'll point out things on the raft trip so that's our rim and raft trip and then we head back to phoenix we go buy some dinosaur uh fossil beds and uh that's kind of fun as well you know i used to think eh, nobody wants to go see the dinosaur fossils because i see them all the time well then yeah. i found out it seems like about 80% of the people on the bus, I'll ask, you guys want to go see some dinosaurs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I will have, and about 80% of people, I used to always think, well, everyone sees this stuff because, you know, I'm doing that all. Yeah, no, no, I, <laughs> that sounds amazing. I, I want to do it. So, um, Russ, I just want to thank you so much. We're, we're about out of time here, but I really thank you for uh, taking the time to be able to do this with us. Oh, thanks, Kevin. I enjoyed speaking with you and, and sharing with your audience. Absolutely. That's creationministries.org. If you guys want more information about Russ Miller, and uh, he's been doing this for a long time and just a wealth of information. And I, I just love uh, the the kind of uh, uh, boots on the ground, uh, you know, kind of thing that you do here with the Grand Canyon. It's incredible. So, so you guys can check that out. Um, of course, my website is educateforlife.org for those of you listening. And I've got all kinds of resources up there as well. Uh, full homeschool curriculum there that's available for anybody who wants it. And then um, next, uh, our next guest is going to be Dr. Dan Biddle, who also has done some amazing work with creation, with dinosaurs. And then um, we also have Tom Meyer coming up. If you want to learn how to memorize scripture, if you uh, if you feel like you're not good at that, uh, he's a great uh, resource for equipping you to be able to memorize scripture and um, help you to get God's word inside your mind and your heart. So uh, thanks again for being here with us. And uh, I see a bunch of my students um, online. So thanks, you guys, for being here. Glad you could make it out. And uh, we'll look forward to being with you next time. God bless you. Talk to you later, Russ. Hope to see you soon in the future. Thanks, sir. God bless you guys. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 7.30 to 5.30, and Saturdays, 7.30 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. Luke Gibson of LG Equipment supports Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. Luke grew up in the construction industry and now serves LG's commercial and residential customers throughout Southern California. Whether you need grading, paving, hauling, demolition, on-site bulk water service, water trucks, tankers, and towers, call LG Equipment at 619-998-0924. Learn more at lgequipment.com. 619-998-0924.
How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fastlane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619-222-0766. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. 